Flash forward is, as you've heard me say approximately 180 times and counting, a show about the future. Sure, it's about cool science and tech and research and sometimes aliens. But fundamentally, it's about the ways that tomorrow could be different from today. Since the beginning, this show has been a way for me to explore ideas of change. How do we change the world for the better? How do we become the people we want to be? How do we make the futures we want? This is a literal question, one that has real, on-the-ground answers. But it can also be served, I think, by metaphors. At some point in the past, someone who lived where I now live, in Berkeley, planted a butterfly bush. I didn't know that's what it was, being a person who always thinks that I will learn about plants and then never does. I only figured it out when the butterflies started coming to it. Monarchs, specifically. Those beautiful black and orange beacons of spring. Actually, that's a lie. I noticed the caterpillars first, eating the plant. And then I did a search to figure out if I should kill them. If they were some kind of terrible invasive species I've never heard of, that I should eradicate immediately and with glee. They were not. Have you ever tried to watch, in real time, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly? It happens in two parts, as you probably know. First, the caterpillar finds a spot on a leaf or a branch. Then the soft, smooshy caterpillar spins a protective exoskeleton. The ones monarchs make are a beautiful, leafy green with gold flecks. Other butterflies have even more striking shells. The Tithoria butterfly's chrysalis looks like it belongs around the neck of some ostentatious, possibly inbred royal princess. A pure, shiny gold so reflective you can see yourself in it. But the real magic is what happens inside this golden shell. There's a complete rearrangement of their internal and external anatomy during the pupil stage. This is Dr. Jessica Ware, an associate curator of invertebrates at the American Museum of Natural History. And a complete rearrangement of internal and external anatomy is no small feat. And for butterflies, to achieve this rearrangement, they must first turn into goo. Basically, the cells kind of spit out these uh, caustic agents that basically dissolve um, you know, completely the, the larval muscles. Not every single part of the caterpillar is melted. Things like the little tiny antenna nubs that a caterpillar has will simply grow longer to become the long butterfly antenna. And amidst the goo, there are clusters of cells called imaginal discs, which will go on to become the new parts of the butterfly. I love that bit of jargon. Imaginal discs. The term comes from the same Latin root as the word imagination, the concept of being whatever you can picture yourself to be. So some parts of it you imagine just being goo, you know, turning to goo, and other parts are kind of developed into something that will then become an adult. And I asked Jessica, like, does this hurt? Because I mean, it really sounds like it would hurt. Oh, that is a good question. So we don't often talk about pain in insects, although some people feel very strongly um, 
that there's evidence that what some of the nerve signals that they're experiencing might be related to pain. We don't often like to think about pain in insects because we <laughs> would rather be cavalier with their lives, right? Um, so that's a very good question. I don't know the answer, really. Um, I imagine that complete dissolving of your internal um, musculature <laughs> probably would, I mean, it, I imagine that, you know, might make you feel some kind of way. <laughs> Once the caterpillar is dissolved into goo, it then reforms itself into the next stage. Those imaginal discs each start to do their jobs, becoming wings and legs and eyes and so on. And when that process is done, the butterfly emerges from its protective case and flies away. Mounting pressure for change usually succeeds in undoing the monolith so that fresh new ways can take over. This part, the emerging, happens way faster than I realized. For weeks, I tried to catch the act as it happened in my backyard, checking on my little melting and reforming caterpillars every couple of hours. But I kept missing it. One minute, you've got a pretty little gem of a chrysalis, and the next, it's a paper-thin, empty husk, and your butterfly is off to see the world without you. But I am nothing if not determined, so after failing several times to witness the butterfly emerging triumphantly from the chrysalis, I took matters into my own hands and I brought a chrysalis inside, propping it up right next to my desk. A few days later, I learned that there is something called a tachinid fly that lays eggs on monarch caterpillars. Once the caterpillar is all nicely wrapped up in its cocoon, the maggots get to work boring into the poor, fleshy body and eating it. Long story short, I didn't get a butterfly. Instead, I got a maggot. Maybe there's a metaphor there, but we are going to skip it for now and go to the other metaphors that exist in the world of caterpillars and butterflies. And they're almost always about upgrading. The caterpillar is always the stodgy, slow-moving thing confined to the ground. In some versions of the story, the cocoon represents crisis and depression, the whole it's always darkest before the dawn thing. The butterfly is the dawn, the free, floaty, flying thing. Many people genuinely care for the beauty and awe of this world and its beings. I mean, everybody loves a butterfly. Well. Everybody except Jessica. Everyone loves a butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, say more about that. <laughs> I mean, butterflies are great. There's a lot of them. But they're like, you know, um, maybe we pay too much attention to beautiful things and we don't pay enough attention to things that are less beautiful. I mean, have you looked at a caterpillar recently? Like, really looked? A lot of caterpillars are beautiful, I think. For example, the great peacock moth caterpillar is dotted with incredible bright blue nodes, looking like a piece of sour candy. The Euclean norba moth caterpillar has a series of translucent spikes that look like beautiful, deadly lace. And butterflies might be pretty, but so are a ton of other insects. Dragonflies are beautiful. But what about the lowly cockroach or the lowly earwig? You know, like there's a lot of really cool insects out there. But they get no press, they get no greeting cards, you know, it's all butterflies, butterflies, butterflies. So I'm a little, 
uh, jaded, maybe, because I feel for these other insects that have a really unique evolutionary history, but no one hears about it because all we're doing is talking about butterflies. Butterflies are not the only species of insect that does the whole pupation thing. In fact, by some estimates, around 60% of all animals do this thing that scientists call holometabolism. Ladybugs, beetles, bees, lacewings, flies, they all wrap themselves up and go through an incredible transformation. But we don't celebrate those ones. We don't put them on greeting cards or hair clips. Butterflies get all the attention. What I think is so remarkable to people is just the transformation from something that they would consider to be unattractive to something that is attractive, maybe. The idea that a small grub could become a giant beetle, you're not really ratcheting it up in social status in terms of beauty, right? But what if we set aside the beauty of the outcome and just talk about the beauty of the transformation itself? This idea that you can close yourself up in a little protective shell, melt into goo, and then emerge as basically a completely different creature. Sonnet Against Entropy by John M. Ford The worm drives helically through the wood and does not know the dust left in the boar once made the table integral and good, and suddenly the crystal hits the floor. Electrons find their paths in subtle ways, a massless eddy in a trail of smoke. The names of lovers, light of other days, perhaps you will not miss them. That's the joke. The universe winds down, that's how it's made. But memory is everything to lose. Although some of the colors have to fade, do not believe you'll get the chance to choose. Regret, by definition, comes too late. Say what you mean. Bear witness. Iterate. I feel like the natural world like, is where all of my realizations come from. This is Sabrina Imbler, author of the book How Far the Light Reaches, A Life in Ten Sea Creatures. I guess when I see a creature that is doing something weird that has like no human corollary, I guess that makes me kind of want to, want to find it and try to seek it out in my own experience or like in, in a way of seeing the world. And maybe this is why I'm so interested in the metaphors that exist around change, like pupation. Because really, there is no human equivalent. We are born roughly the same shape, and we simply grow larger and older. But what can we learn from a creature that dissolves itself in order to move forward? I came across this really metal moth called the gum leaf skeletonizer, um, which is a moth in New Zealand. Many caterpillars go through several molts before they hole up in their chrysalis, shedding their outer skin as they chomp on leaves and grow bigger. And when they shed a layer of skin, usually they eat it. So that like predators won't find it. It's also extra nutrients. But the gum leaf skeletonizer has put its own twist on this process. The gum leaf skeletonizer caterpillar like also does this, except it 
retains its old head and just puts it like atop its current head and after like it's five or so molts it just has this little tower of heads like on the top of its head. Entomologist Gwen Pearson once called the gum leaf skeletonizer the mad hatterpillar. And for Sabrina, this offered a new kind of metaphor for change. How are the ways in which I've molted in my life? And like, what are the past selves that I want to cling to in the same way that like this caterpillar like retains all of its past selves? Like, I guess I was thinking about this a lot as like someone who recently came to understand themselves as like trans, but not in a very like linear way and not in a way that was like, I've always known this since I was a child and like trying to make sense of various selves I've lived that like made sense in the moment, but like no longer makes sense to me. A lot of trans folks I've talked to actually identify with the metaphor of metamorphosis. You know, sometimes I'm drawn to the caterpillar butterfly metaphor because I love that like, that, yeah, they become like nothing like themselves at all and then show up some other way. That's Dean Spade, a professor at Seattle University's School of Law and the author of Mutual Aid, Building Solidarity During This Crisis and the Next. I like the idea, the belief that we can transform radically, like inside ourselves, and that things we're part of can transform, and that that's natural and normal. But the natural world is full of other metaphors, too. Ones that are not all about individual, personal growth. We can also look to nature for models of change that involve collaboration or collective power. I was thinking about just the other night at a bar, someone was telling me about these sea slugs that, when they consume other animals, take on those animals. Um, capacities. Some of these sea slugs, for example, eat algae and actually extract the chloroplasts from that algae and use it to be able to photosynthesize themselves. To me, like that idea that that I could, you know, collaborate with you or in a group and we could all get skilled up and we could we could gain the best, most interesting skills that various people in the group has broader, the most interesting capacities. Other sea slugs that eat poisonous sponges store that poison in their bodies to use as defense mechanisms. And this stacking of heads, this learning from our past selves and our current collaborators, that is how the big metamorphic change happens. Together, in little units of exploration and joining and rejoining, that's how we get to the transformation part. We are each a very small part of something very big. And like none of us can see our projects like succeed in fixing everything in this lifetime. Big, but also brutal. These transitions, these changes, eating poison, turning to goo, they're not the most pleasant, pain-free experiences. When you think about it, a pupation metaphor is pretty gnarly. A major part of that process of, you know, the butterfly coming out is that squeeze, you know, that that sense of pain and discomfort that comes with leaving that safe haven. That's Dr. Ruha Benjamin, author of Viral Justice, How We Grow the World We Want. And so for me, it's useful because I really want us to embrace the contractions or the pain, whatever, you know, whether it's birth or the butterfly, um, rather than trying to skip over it, like so much, so many of the buzzwords, the kind of what sociologists call happy talk when it comes to, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity, is trying to like somersault over the discomfort and the pain and the contractions 
And so I like that metaphor because if we pay attention to the different stages, there's a lot, it's not just a happy, you know, transformative process. There's a lot of squeeze and discomfort that's part of that, that metamorphosis. For many, many creatures, periods of change are also periods of vulnerability. Take, for example, hermit crabs, who live in their little homes until they outgrow them. When a hermit crab needs to find a new shell, needs to update its life and its living conditions, it has to scurry about with its vulnerable backside hanging out until it fits into its new place. But these vulnerable moments of transition, they don't always have to be solitary and scary. You don't always have to go through them alone. Hermit crabs know this too. Scientists have documented situations in which hermit crabs will essentially line up in size order so they can all trade with each other and shuffle into their new shells at once, minimizing the danger to everybody. The Hermit Crab by Mary Oliver Once I looked inside the darkness of a shell folded like a pastry, and there was a fancy face or almost a face. It turned away and frisked up its brawny forearms so quickly against the light. And my looking in, I scarcely had time to see it, gleaming under the pure white roof of old calcium. When I set it down, it hurried along the tideline of the sea, which was slashing along as usual, shouting and hissing toward the future, turning its back with every tide on the past, leaving the shore littered every morning with more ornaments of death. What a pearly rubble from which to choose a house like a white flower. And what a rebellion to leap into it and hold on, connecting everything, the past to the future, which is, of course, the miracle, which is the only argument there is against the sea. All of these metaphors for change share some commonalities. They each tell stories of vulnerability, of pain, tightness, discomfort, as you have to change yourself and your world. The willingness to suffer a little, to be uncomfortable as you try and push yourself into a new form, a new environment, a new place. I guess I feel like I just emerged from like a period of goodum. And like, of course, I'll go back to being goo at some point. Sabrina Imbler again. Nothing is fixed and everything can change. And this is the question that I always return to, the one that I have struggled with for a long time. It's about goo. Must we fully dissolve ourselves and our world in order to get to the futures we want? In other words, do we have to burn it all down, destroy it all, and rebuild from that melted space? I do appreciate the sentiment of burn it down. I think it's actually really essential in a society in which we're encouraged to be demobilized and passive. Law professor Dean Spade again. And so it it is meaningful for people to be like burn it down. Like I think that's an important intervention, even though it's not like something any one of us can or any group we're in can do. I mean, we don't, you know, and that's not how change happens. It happens like in really complex, multiple levels with lots and lots of autonomous Um, groups and people trying different things everywhere and trying to get inspired by each other and sharing ideas and influencing each other and debating. And like, it's just, it's just really complex and also um, a great deal that is unknown. 
Over the years, we have talked a lot on this show about the pitfalls of personal responsibility. How you, alone, are not going to end climate change by recycling, no matter what the fossil fuel corporations tell you. Oh, you just need to, like, individual responsibility your way out of the climate crisis. We, we can't. That's Liz Neely, our science communicator. And I think this goes to the problem with hope washing, too. Um, we have to think about this from a systemic point of view and, and take collective action. And so that's where I go, is back to the idea of hope as a discipline and hope as a social practice. It's not in my own feelings. It's how I am in relation to other people in the world around me. And yes, you've guessed it. There is another really good animal metaphor for this, too. There's a giant ocean sunfish called the mola mola. The mola mola is actually my favorite fish. I have a tattoo of one. And they're, by the time they're adults, they can be massive, right? Like 3,000, 4,000 pounds. Like that's, that's essentially the size of my car. I drive a Prius. They look like if a giant fish had been bitten in half by a shark. And that bite healed up, but the fish's face was still caught in the expression it made when the bite happened. Like, can you believe what's happening to me? But they start life as tiny, tiny larvae, right? They are like three millimeters long. That's about half the length of a grain of rice. Over the course of their lives, a mola mola increases its body mass 60 million times. And it's not just that they get bigger, right? Humans get bigger too. When you live in water, the difference between being a fraction of a grain of rice and a thousand kilograms is fundamental. The world is so different. Even like how much effort it takes to move through water, which at that size, it's it's like it's heavy, it's thick, it's like gloppy. You're kind of swimming through syrup. So that giant car-sized fish is swimming through the ocean with some inkling of what it was like to be tiny, vulnerable, swimming against muck. This absolute behemoth has known what it was like to be so small and so helpless. The dichotomy between big and small, between macro and micro, is a false one. Once again, Dr. Ruha Benjamin. We can see the interconnectedness, how something that seems small can build and accumulate and change things over time. And so, again, it's a way of looking at the things around us and perceiving and respecting what we do on the small scale that I think is essentially a love letter to people who are, are doing things that may not get a lot of attention, that may not get the headlines or the, you know, the hashtags, but that are really vital for any long-term movement or process of world building. When you model the kind of change you want to see spread, you spark virtuous ripples. There's an Octavia Butler quote I return to over and over again. She said, There's no single answer that will solve all our future problems. There's no magic bullet. Instead, there are thousands of answers, at least. You can be one of them if you choose to be. We are all going to have to go through our own individual pupations to get to the world we want. But we'll also need to remember how we were before and imagine how we might yet change. We all have things to unlearn, to relearn, 
to learn for the first time. We are all going to have to become uncomfortable in order to get to the future that can nurture and sustain us all equitably. You don't need to have hope to do that, but it can help. And if you do have hope, it doesn't need to be for some idealized future version of you, alone, being a beautiful butterfly. It can be about how you fit into this great, strange, changing world that is morphing and pupating in a thousand different ways all around you, all the time. And now, dear listeners, after almost eight years and 182 episodes, I am off to rearrange my own imaginal discs. And I want to leave you with one last poem. That is Solemn, We Have Ended by Emily Dickinson. That is solemn, we have ended, be it but a play, or a glee among the garrets, or a holiday or leaving home, or later, parting with a world. We have understood for better, still it be unfurled. This very final, last ever episode of Flash Forward was written by me, Rose Eveleth. Edited by Avery Truffleman, produced by Ozzy Linus Goodman, and sound designed by Ariana Martinez. Special thanks to Kendra Snyder at the Museum of Natural History, to Cass Adair, who read Sonnet Against Entropy by John M. Ford, to Elena Rivera, who read The Hermit Crab by Mary Oliver, and to Siona Petros, who read our Octavia Butler quote. Obviously, thanks as well to all the poets who allowed us to use their work in this series. You can find a full script of the episode, as always, on flashforwardpod.com. The episode art is, as always, by Maddie Lubchansky. And the outro music that you're hearing is, as always, by Hasselonia. This is the last episode in our show's finale. That's it. It's over. Can you believe it? Did I tear up when reading the Emily Dickinson poem? Yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) If you enjoyed Flash Forward and you want to support my work on future books, other shows, art projects, whatever else that I get up to in the future, you can do that by joining my membership program. It's called the Time Travelers Club. And if you go to ffwdpresents.com, you can find out more about that. And if you are listening to this, the credits of this final episode um you're like one of my favorite people and so you get a special discount code for that membership program so use the code goo g-o-o at checkout for 30 percent off your first year of time traveler membership at ffwdpresents.com there's also going to be a link in the show notes that's all for flash forward go forth and make better futures okay <laughs>